Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. We have to be aware of what place we are. But one good thing about it, in the midst of everything bad, no weapons were used. Yeah, that's a good point, except the chair. Would you walk away from that brawl or would you be part of it? Wow. If you saw somebody being beaten unjustly, what would you do? There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one. A token black person? And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. Public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you just saying thank you for your grace and your mercy, God. God, we continue to pray for the United States of America. God bless America. God, as we continue to take this journey and everything sounds difficult at times we ask you to please continue to allow us to put one foot in front of the other and let us walk god by faith and not by sight god we love you and we praise you in jesus precious name we pray and believe amen dear heavenly father we just uh, thank you for uh, the blessings you've given our families and our our children We ask that uh, as we uh, mature in age, that hopefully the seeds that we planted are going to be fruitful and uh, we build bridges that maybe we don't get to walk across too much, but they do. Lord, uh, we lift up uh, Odell and his family. Uh, We ask for safe travels as we go about. Amen. Amen. So, Bill, I looked on TV the other day and, you know, a lot of people have their different perspectives on the media. And it was saying that Georgia Grand Jury DA is being attacked by former President Donald Trump, and he's calling her a racist. Now, I understand from a perspective that as a shield, meaning something to protect you with. So he's saying that, hey, she's a racist. And she's saying that, or some are saying that, He might be indicted on racketeering charges and a lot of different things. So now the Trump campaign is running attack ads against the DA and the grand grand jury. So what do you think about what do you think, Bill? Because it's like, okay, is another indictment. Are you tired yet, Bill? Are you tired? I was tired a long time ago. How long has Trump been in the political news? Probably about 10 years now. Yeah, about, about that 10 years, because when he started running, then he, he was a president for four years, and now we're two years into it. So it could be about eight to 10 years. Uh-huh. I can't remember a time there was no drama. 
There was no drama. And I've been around for a lot of presidents. I don't remember Lyndon Johnson having the drama. I don't remember. Richard Nixon did for sure. Uh-huh. And he had to resign. John F. Kennedy didn't have much. The Bushes didn't have too much. Obama didn't have too much. Yeah, they called him no drama Obama. <laughs> but, you know, I guess some people like drama. I'd look at all the TV shows, the housewives of Dallas, the housewives of Atlanta. By the way, one of the housewives of Dallas, father is a good friend of mine. Okay. Yeah. All he right. called me up and he goes, guess what my daughter's doing? Okay. And I go, I don't know. And she's, she's gorgeous. Cameron, her name is. And I don't know what her name is on TV, but sure enough, she was on there. And man, I'll tell you what, I happened to walk in a room and our daughter was watching it. Yeah. And I go, what in the world are you watching? I mean, they have more drama in 30 minutes than I think Trump has. And that's hard to say. Well, Bill, but the thing about it is the troubling thing for me is the fact that using race as a defense or attacking we always call it playing the race card or race baiting, whatever, you know, and, and both sides do it. We know that. But with the racial tension in America right now, case in point, just the Alabama brawl or the Montgomery Riverfront brawl, I think many people have heard about that and and seen it and all the things along with it. And when I was looking at it, I thought about two things, Bill. I thought about, you know, two videos. I, I'm one who like country music. So one of the videos that I like to look at when I'm working out, because one thing about country music, it appears that a good video stays around a long time, you know, a long time. But it's a little group called Little Big Town, and they have this video called Pontoon. And it talks about, you know, people just going out, having a good time on the pontoon, on the river, on the lakes, just having a good time. And I thought about that because they said that the individuals had a pontoon boat or a boat that was parked in the way of the other boat. Then I thought about another video that I liked the way it was put together because I produce videos too, but I'm not crazy about the content and the underlying meaning. And that's the Jason Aldrin tried this in a small town. And I thought about that whole piece because I grew up in South Carolina and I'm very familiar with small Southern towns. That's not a bias, prejudice or stereotype, but I'm familiar with how small Southern towns work. And I thought about it and the thought came to me of, hmm, when you look at the brawl of the white man jumping on the black guy, I said, they forgot they're not in a small town. They're not in a small town. They're in Montgomery, Alabama, on the riverfront, Bill, where a lot of black people are. And all of a sudden, that whole thing of awareness of place, and I'm sure they may or may not have known, but where they were fighting or attacking the coal captain of the steamship is where it used to be a deck where slaves were imported in and sold and all this kind of stuff's going on. So sometimes, Bill, it's like we have to be aware of what place we are. But one good thing about it, in the midst of everything bad, no weapons were used. Yeah, that's a good point, except the chair. Somebody took a chair at somebody. <laughs> yeah, we had a chair and, and, and the gentleman who took the chair is going to be charged. Yes. In my opinion. Yes, he should. Yeah. You're going to be charged because that was, um, he took. Well, let me ask you a question. Go from there. Yes. Um, I was on a boat one time down in St. Thomas with a buddy of mine. Okay. Dory and I and his and his wife. 
And uh, there was a ferry that was going to get us from St. Thomas to, to where we were staying. And it was the last ferry. And it was late. And people were getting anxious to get on it because it only held so many. Right. And so, you know, you get all that anxiety. And uh, we had a car. So we had to get the car on. And we were in line. And uh, we got in line and uh, we got on. But there was a lot of ruckus. This woman came on with a couple of cars and she was a big shot politician. Mm -hmm. And she pushed her way right in around everybody and really made a lot of people angry. And uh, they had an altercation. We were sitting in the Jeep and, uh, you know, that's where we were hanging out. And the altercation came and it was coming up on us on the Jeep. And they were trying to drag us into it. Uh Now, in the case of this brawl that we saw in Montgomery with Mm -hmm. with the folks trying to land a boat that somebody was already in their slip. And that slip was only used primarily for this big boat because they had a landing ramp and all the necessary hookups. Would you walk away from that brawl or would you be part of it? Wow. If you saw somebody being beaten unjustly, what would you do? Bill, that's a great question. If I was standing there and I saw a black man who had the authority to ask white or black, others individuals to move because they're parked in the wrong place. Yeah, he waited. They were 45 minutes in the river waiting. Somebody picked him up in a small boat and took him on the, the dock. Right. And then he went over to them and said, okay, I'm going to move it. And then he was being attacked by four or five white men. Yeah. And those guys were flipping him the bird and obscenities while he yeah. was. I would run down there to his aid mm-hmm. and I would first attempt to try to break it up mm-hmm. because you want to break it up. But I'm sure if someone would have swung on me, you would have seen the good looking, slim and trim black Democrat guy on national TV throwing punches, Bill. <laughs> Don't know about the chair, but you would have seen me throwing punches. And it's like, well, dog, wait a minute, Odell, you're a preacher. Wait a minute, Odell, you're 63. Wait, wait a minute, minute wait Odell. a minute. Those, those are holy punches. No, I wouldn't have been throwing holy punches, Bill. I would have tried to be throwing haymakers. Haymakers. And I hope that I would never get in that situation. However, I would be lying to you and to the audience who we work so hard to gain and retain their trust to say as a black man, I would not do anything. I would have ran down there. I would have just ran down there, Bill. Well, here's another scenario. The fellow walked over and they're having an altercation. They were not physical, but verbal. Is it better for the individual to walk away from it and leave the situation, even though he's being unjustly treated? That's a good point. Now, are you referring to this situation? Yeah, this here? situation. Let's okay. say there are no physical altercation, but the guy came, made his point. People screamed at him, sanities, right. but never touched him. Right. And he decided to walk away, maybe call the authorities or do something. Well, he was the authority. Well, the police I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, he was the authority. I know this. Yeah. he's the captain of the boat. He Co-captain. Has, yeah, he has a lot of authority. Right. But should he have walked away? I think so from from that perspective, you had 400 something people sitting on the boat waiting for 45 minutes. You've contacted them to the boat owners two or three times and they just flip you the bird and like we ain't moving our boat. So you went over there and say you touched another man's boat. I don't own a boat, so I don't know the rules about touching another man's boat. However, he came and they were talking. It wasn't, no one touched anyone. They were talking and talking and the conversation got heated. And then all of a sudden, one of the boat owners or a person who was with the group of the boat ran to him and hit him, swung on him first. So he wasn't the aggressor. 
So I don't know when you say walk away, the video shows that he was somewhat backing up. Yeah. And then another they guy, him. yeah, another guy came yeah. from the other point and, and kind of did like a, a karate kick type thing. And it was good when it was five white guys on one black guy. But all of a sudden they looked up and then you had one black guy that would have been Odell ran down there and tried to break it up. And he was trying to, you could tell he was, no, no, I'm wrong. At first it was a young white guy tried to break it up and almost yeah, like the 16 year old kid. Yeah. And someone kind of looked at him and they must've raised their fist back. And he's like, Hey, listen, listen, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I don't know if they swung on him or not, but they did something to him because he was trying to break it up. So it wasn't, yeah, they totally called him, they, something happened to him because they called him a victim. Right. So somebody they did something to him. Yeah. So it was like, wait a minute. So I don't know if alcohol was involved, Bill. I don't know what else was involved, but Odell would have been the one running down there trying to break it up, trying to be the peacemaker until someone swung on me. And then all of a sudden I went back to the hood like I grew up. It was like, oh no, oh no, no, and try to go from there. Because what you don't want to see from my perspective is a black man trying to do his job, knocked to the ground by four or five people, being kicked stomped on and all this kind of stuff. And you just sit there and look at it. You know, that brought up a good point though, Bill. Great question. I wasn't even thinking that. I was talking to a young lady the other day, white female, probably about 70 something years old. And she said, well, you know, the blacks are more aggressive now. And I'm like, huh? And she was like, well, I had an incident. I was going to the grocery store and got my groceries. And I get out and I was fumbling for my keys or something. And and I was just kind of like holding up traffic in a way. And someone blew and said, will you move out of the way? And she's like, well, I, I felt intimidated. I felt threatened. And it's like, you know, blacks are getting more aggressive now. So the question is, are blacks getting more aggressive or as a people, we're not as passive as we used to be when it comes to what's right and what's wrong, because it was a time in Birmingham, Montgomery, Alabama, that if white folks would beat up a black person or treat a black person a certain way on that dock, it was legal mm -hmm. and it was okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to drag us back, but I'm just want to want to put some meat on the bones because the whole crunchy had his eyes on the riverfront brawl. And the important things that I think we need to points I want to make is that when you start talking about the racial history and the fact that the authority and power, who had the authority there, it would be the co-captain, but it didn't matter. And then you look at our current political temperature in America. Like I talked about the president, the ex-president, he's running around shouting that, hey, listen, they're attacking him because they're racist. And he said something. He said once he said talking about former President Donald Trump, he said, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you, and I'm standing in the way so they don't get you. Yeah. He also said, if they come after me, I'm coming after them. And, you know, back to the story about the, uh, the altercation, I want to get to that. I was taught that it's better. There's some people that, that love the fight. Yeah. I, I know some people that that's their thing. You've uh, disrespected me or something. You know, touched them the wrong way and Correct. they want to fight. I was taught different. I was taught be very tolerant and walk away. Hmm. You know, fight if you have to, but prefer to walk away. So we were on that boat. I was telling you about. Yeah. We're sitting in the Jeep and this this altercation started and they bumped into our Jeep. And you uh, say bumped in you with their vehicle or people start fighting and they just 
their bodies hit the Jeep yep. and then yep. your Jeep yep. and all this yep. good stuff. And it was a bunch of people. Got it. Was it. Gonna get, you know, White, black, male, black, female, all, Hispanic, all black, Latino, all, all black. black. All oh, okay. Black. So black folk fighting black folk. Yeah. And uh, okay. we were all white in ours, obviously. Okay. And uh, I looked at the people in the Jeep and I said, I don't think we should be here. I think we need to go up on the deck and get out, get away from this because this could escalate into something ugly. And uh, well, the guy that rented the Jeep, I had taken the two ladies and we put her up on the deck and he stayed there. Uh-huh. And to this day, he says, Bill didn't have my back. He ran away from me. Wow. And that's not the case. I was just trying to get them out of danger and not be part of that. If those people want to beat each other up, have at it. It's, I'm just not part of it. Right. So when we when we landed, the police were waiting mm-hmm. because somebody, I think it was the captain, noticed it and identified the people. And uh, one of them was the politician lady in her, her entourage. So my point of saying that story is this co-captain that had the boat, he didn't have a chance because he went there and those people, I don't know if alcohol was involved, like you said, but there was certainly racial hatred and they attacked him. That's a whole nother kettle of fish. Yeah. He had another option. The other option is just stay out. We had two options, stay out there and call the police, which probably would have been the right one. And if he was a hothead, he'd have taken that big old boat and crushed their little boat. No, we don't want to do that, Bill. <laughs> Bill, you don't want to take a big old boat and crush a little boat like fried green tomatoes. I guess you know what the young lady talks when they took her parking space and they went there. But to your point, though, the racial tension in America is real. I know a lot of times we don't want to talk about it because it's uncomfortable to talk about, it, especially among friends of different races. And when you sit there and you think about the whole small town culture back to the gentleman's um, try that in a small town. And I went, as you know, my brother got hurt a while back and I went to to go, you know, take care of him. And he was in Louisiana, New Orleans. So I flew into New Orleans and he lives in Alabama, Mobile, Alabama. So I had to drive back and forth to go get clothes for him and everything else. So I was got on I-10, don't know anything, rent a car, don't know anything. And I rode through Mississippi and I saw this place, Bill, it talks about Jefferson Davis hometown and Biloxi, Mississippi. And I, I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. And I wanted to go, but I was too busy. I couldn't go. Then the next time when I went back a while back to him, he had to go get some more things because they was going to dispatch it. So I had to go back to Mobile. So I went through Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. And so I decided to stop at Jefferson Davis's hometown, his site, knowing quite well, Bill, the awareness of place. So I, you know, got the ways on my phone to find a place. And so I go and I cross this bridge and I see close to a thousand small Confederate flags on graves. So I understand that I'm in a place that I have to be very sensitive to. So I drive around and I went up in, you know, you have the mansion there and then you have the library and everything else. So I drive around and it's place opens at nine o'clock in the morning. So it's about eight forty, And so I pull up and there's one car there. And I go up to pull next to the car and there's a white couple in the car. And I guess they're saying, what in the world is this black guy doing <laughs> at Jefferson Davis's place? Is he going to here trying to blow up something? So I go up to them and ask them, they roll down the window. I said, hey, good morning. Um, do you know what time it opens? And they said, oh, nine o'clock. I said, okay. 
So I walked up to the door because I wanted to be the first in line because, Bill, what I wanted to find out, I wanted to question Jefferson Davis, not question him like he was on the witness stand, but questioning him for a better understanding. I wanted to say, Jefferson, what, what were you thinking about when you started the Civil War? And I said, okay, usually when you want to find that stuff, people have their memoirs or people have their, all the things they write and build. And right now I went and I, I went straight to the bookstore. The lady opened the door and went to the bookstore and looked around and she said, I'm getting ready to put on a video. Cause I was asking her about some of the history. So I went in and looked at the video. Now understand the bookstore bill, the bookstore Rebel flags everywhere, keychains, magnets. You didn't bring me anything. Back? I didn't bring you anything back. Oh, T-shirts, man. everything. I mean, rebel flags everywhere. Flags are everywhere. And I'm sitting here saying, okay, but that didn't even bother me. And then I went into the theater where they were playing the video. Rebel flags everywhere, big giant flags. I mean, everything. And I sat there. And it was probably about me and about two or three other couples, white couples. So I did what I usually do. I went and stood in the front. I mean, sat down in the front. So I didn't have to worry about what people may or may not be saying, innuendos, body language. So I looked at it and it talked about everything with Jefferson Davis. And then it said, and he sat here for 10 years and wrote down his memoirs, his biography and everything. I said, hi, that's what I wanted. So after the video, I got up, people looked at me and everybody was nice. Let me say everybody was nice. How you doing, sir? Everything else. And I went back to the bookstore and I said, the video talks about autobiography. Can I purchase it? Do you have a copy? She said, yes, we do. And I said, how much it cost? They said $126. Oh my goodness. And I said, okay. You bought it? I bought it right here. I bought it. Yeah, I bought it. Oh my gosh. Two big volumes, Bill, volume one and volume two. And it's interesting. He named it. He said, the rise and fall of the Confederate government. And Jefferson Davis talks about it. And he said the Confederate government. And he talks about everything in there. And the first thing on the first chapter, Bill, he talked about black servitude, talked about slavery. And Jefferson Davis said the Civil War was not about slavery. The Civil War was about nullification states' rights. So I understood all that. And I read because I want to understand what he understood. I wanted to say, I'm questioning you. Jefferson Davis, not like you on the witness stand, but for a better understanding, because if I could understand what you understood or I could get an idea. And he says, Odell, in his book, everybody knew about slavery. Everybody knew about black servitude. Everybody knew about that. When we came together, uh, the colonies, we never signed up to say that we're all under one thing called the United States of America. We came together as a group, Odell. And we served together, fought together as a group, but we always had our independent thoughts and votes. So we never was willing to give up our slaves. So when the North starts saying, hey, we all need to limit slavery going into the new territory, I think it was called the Missouri Compromise. That's when it hit the fan. And my fellow South Carolinian, John C. Calhoun was older than Jefferson Davis, but Calhoun was Jefferson Davis's mentor. So Davis had a lot of seeds sold in him from Calhoun on about this whole slavery thing. So that was part of it, Bill. So what's your thoughts on all that? And then I'll comment. Well, I'm paging through this and it'd be fascinating 
you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking, man, if he was alive, he'd be great to have on this podcast and ask him some questions. But they did say state rights. Absolutely. I remember that was one of the issues that uh, the people said that they didn't have states rights. But uh, there's contradiction to that because there were folks that uh, it wasn't state rights so much. It was about liberating their workforce, the blacks. And uh, they called them Negroes. And uh, there was a letter written when the Union Army was sieging Atlanta. The general, Sherman, sent a letter to the general that was in Atlanta asking him to surrender. And in that letter, it talks about, I had read that letter. And when you get to the bottom part, it's pretty, pretty intense that it wasn't about state rights as much as it was about giving rights to the blacks who they felt was an inferior race and that uh, they uh, didn't need to be brought up any higher than they are now. I'll see if I can find that for us. I've got it. There it is. Civil War General. So this was in, uh, let me see, give it, I might have the date on here. Doesn't. But uh, let me just read this last part. Let's see here. This is from J.B. Hood. He is the general in charge of the Confederates in Atlanta. He said, you know, this is his response to them asking for a surrender so that people wouldn't have to go through more suffering. Wow. And his response to General Sherman is, you came into our country with your army avowed for the purpose of subrogating free white men, women and children, not only intent to rule over them, but make Negroes your allies and desire to place over us an inferior race, which we have raised from barbarium to their present position. I guess they thought they made them good. You say, let us fight it out like men. To this, my reply is for myself, and I believe for all the true men, yes, let's do that. In my country, we'll fight to the death. Better to die a thousand deaths than submit to live under you and your government and your Negro allies. And it's interesting that that was the last thing he said. So it tells you where the heart was, not necessarily what they were espousing. And let me just draw a, a comparison. Mm -hmm. When I read a book, we went to Normandy, right? Yes. We did. I read a book, the German viewpoint of Normandy, the, the fellows that were in the Normandy, the Germans, they were interviewed. It's a great book. And they talked about, you know, what they experienced with the guns and all that stuff. But one of the things the the interviewer asked them, why did you fight? What was the cause that you were fighting for? Mm -hmm. And they said, we were told that the Americans and English and the Jews were going to take over and the Russians were going to come in and take over our families, our houses and rape our women. Mm. And that's in that they were they were horrible people. And that they were that that was their intent to make us slaves. So we were fighting to keep ourselves out of that. And that's not the case. That's not the case. They were lied to. So the people that fought the Civil War were lied to. State rights. No, it was to keep the slavery because why? Because the slaves provided an economic advantage for the slaveholders because they could use that free labor or cheap labor to pick cotton, to pick rice, to whatever it is, and build things. So 
In fact, uh, I'm sure Jefferson Davis's house was built by slaves. I know the White House was. But here's something interesting. I, as I was reading more about this, and this is a little uh-huh. bit different subject, Union graves at Arlington National Cemetery are laid out in straight rows, while the Confederate section is formed in a centric circle. The gravestones face inward, their backs turned on the Union graves. Each Confederate marker has a pointed top, with all others they're rounded. Legend has it that the pointed tops were intended to prevent Union soldiers from defecating on them. In truth, the designers simply distinguished the Confederate from those of the Union, especially the African-Americans that fought for the Union. This section, originally designed drawings, have an empty circle at the center. And of that plot, with a placeholder that said, a memorial for heroes. Mm. So, you know, it's it's kind of interesting that uh, we're still fighting the Civil War. Exactly. Exactly. We are still fighting the remnants, the states' rights. We're still fighting nullification. We're still fighting black folk as second-class citizens. And now the fight, in some cases, says, try that in a small town. Try that in a small town. You know, you try it in a small town, we got something for your behind. Yeah. Try that in a small town. Yeah. And I get it, Bill. But at the same time, when you start thinking about the rise and fall of the Confederate government, because Jefferson said, Odell, listen, we were our own country. We were our own country and we had the right to be our own country. And so, Lincoln, you messed up. And another thing, though, too, with Jefferson Davis, when I was talking to him, it was the whole idea of, listen, man, this is you're not your ancestors, Odell, weren't real humans. They weren't humans. They weren't humans. And the question is, but we were human enough for you all to sleep with our ancestors. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I was watching a show last night about uh, DNA. Yeah. And there's a fellow, a uh, white guy, a professor, he was going analyzing DNA, a lot of people. And even in Europe, uh, he did. And he even did his own. Uh-huh. And he said, a large, large percentage of people have black DNA in them because the white slaveholders slept with the blacks. Slaves. Right. right. Yeah. And it wasn't uncommon for, you know, mixed race babies. Right. And that, so it's interesting. Bill, it just got to the point now. And I grew up in South Carolina, so I have my own bias, prejudice and stereotypes within me. So I first acknowledge that it just got to the point where I've seen white older adults with their grandkids who you could see that that grandchild is, I don't know what's the term, from a white and a black parent. Or, and I've seen black grandfathers and mothers with white children who you could look at and say that child is from a white and black parent. And the law used to say that if you had one drop of black blood in you, you were black. So mm-hmm. it was there. But we're going to tell Jefferson Davis that, hey, J.D., it was cool talking to you. And one thing Jefferson Davis said was, hey, we were right. It doesn't matter. We were right. And one thing he said, though, at the end, he said, Odell, Lincoln freed the slaves. He didn't have to do that. We already told him we stopped fighting. And we were going home and everything. And Lincoln still freed the slaves, Bill. 
And that was one of the things that really, really bothered him, that Lincoln did it for spite. You took our slaves away. You took our identity. You took our self-worth. You took our, many of us lost our lives and our fortunes trying to hold on to slavery, which we as black people call Americans, America's original sin. And people like I've had good white friends and bad white friends and good black friends and bad black friends say, Odell, why do you talk about slavery all the time? I don't talk about slavery all the time. It's like, let it go. We don't want to hear it anymore. But Bill, I don't care what our governor of Florida, who's trying to do so many just just outlandish things because his whole campaign is falling apart because there's no there there. I think we've examined him and figured out there's no there there. And Trump done kicked his behind and they didn't he even got to the debate stage yet. Who's doing so much. Just he's just he's just off the chain down there in Florida, doing so much, trying to put himself in a gracious position with what he thinks are certain voters, a certain segment of voters in America. And you want to say, come on, man. But I say all that to say this. You can try to change the history. But the history has three sides to it. It's his side, her side, and the truth. And on a coin, Bill, the truth is that part of the coin that can roll. Because head can't roll. It has to lay flat. Tail can't roll. It has to lay flat. But the circles, the edges, that's what roll. And history evolves. So to say that it's no such thing and you can't teach this in schools and you can't teach that, People are teaching the truth. So it's interesting. We, you and I take on the task of sitting here, going and talking about the Montgomery River front brawl and the whole idea of racial tension in America. We have candidates who are running ads, calling people racist because in their mind, they did something they don't want them to do. And the law and justice and the uh, the quality of a candidate's likes going out the door, Bill. I remember a time if I was a candidate and they had one little thing wrong on you, that person was disqualified. But now it's like, hey, nothing wrong with him. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. You know, while you were talking, I was paging through this eight hundred and twenty-five page one volume. There's two volumes. Jefferson Davis, man. JD said, Hey, Odell, for $125, I can, hey, listen, you get I can, exactly. I will tell you everything. And I'm going to read it, yeah. Bill. I'm going to read it from cover to cover, both volumes. Well, highlight, highlight stuff. We'll talk about it. But yeah, I was on page 825 of, I don't know what volume this is. Second volume. Second. Okay. And uh, they've written other books, and the titles kind of are interesting. Think about Abraham Lincoln and Jefferson Davis. Okay. Okay. When you think about them, what do, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I just, two opposite opposites. Two opposites. Yeah. Okay. And which one do you think would be considered a liberal and which one would be conservative? I think that other than the fact that the Republicans and the Democrats, those two parties were switched at the time, along with the Dixiecrats, I think Lincoln would be more of a liberal and Jefferson Davis would be more of a conservative if you put it in today's times. Okay. And the book name is Abraham Lincoln was a liberal and Jefferson Davis was a conservative. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. And now Abraham Lincoln's the, you know, they have these Lincoln Reagan dinners. Yeah, because exactly. Because he's, they're conservative. 
Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I guess it's context and perspective. The next one is kind of interesting. We had let's not spend 120 bucks. See if we can get a cheaper version on Amazon. Quotable Jefferson Davis quotes selections from his writings and speeches of the Confederacy and the first president. You know, I've never read a speech by Jefferson Davis. I've never, you know, I'd be interesting to hear the things that he talked about. So I think what I'll do is I'll Google that and see if we can get something. And maybe the next podcast, we can start quoting Jefferson Davis. Well, Jefferson Davis was a brilliant man. He just ended up on the wrong side of history. But the most brilliant of all was John C. Calhoun. John C. Calhoun was brilliant. He just fought for slavery. He believed in slavery. His family was rich. They call them planters. And that's who he was. But the fact that he was the vice president of the United States Mm -hmm. and he resigned over nullification, over the fact that the president at the time was not willing to push the country to even more slavery. Because remember, Bill, how it happened. You had the transatlantic slave trade. That's when, you know, you were getting people from Mm -hmm. Africa and Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. Then they shut that down. And then you had what they call a domestic slave trade. And that's where this whole piece on Montgomery Riverfront was, because that was one of the keys on this domestic slave trade. Slaves would come into New Orleans, Louisiana, and it would come there to Montgomery on riverboats and on trains. A lot of the train tracks, the slaves themselves built. So that was a big deal. And right there at the park where this whole riverfront was, it had markers where this used to be the pen where slaves would stay when they got ready to sell them. This other place was the warehouse. This other place was the auction blocks. So imagine all these black folk and white folk sitting there looking at all these memorial type things, all these different feelings. And then you look up Odell and here's five or six white guys beating a black guy on the boardwalk. And I got all this tension and all this inside of me. And I'm like, oh, no, that can't happen. So when you ask the question, what was the brilliant question, Odell, would, what would you have done? And I know I would ran down there, too, to the aid of my fellow black American. Well, I don't think if it was black or white, you would have gone down to try and help somebody. Well, I would have. Yeah, I would have. But yeah. in that whole situation, though, it was it was very, very intense. And the whole idea of Montgomery with the birth of the civil rights, you know, the Montgomery boy, boy, cat and all those type of things. And Montgomery's been a very pivotal role in the civil rights movement and everything. But speaking of helping people, Bill, you help people. And sometimes you help people, you get beat up, sometimes physically, sometimes not. But you've helped on the school board. What's the update on the school board? Yeah. uh, Thank you for asking. Well, what I've been doing is, uh, you know, we have towns in our in my district. We have Summerfield, Oak Ridge, in uh, Stokesdale and Greensboro. Uh-huh. Those are the three towns. And so I've been going to the town council meetings and most of them give you three minutes to speak. So I go in and introduce myself as their school board representative and I pick a subject and talk for my three minutes or and I ask, are there any questions or comments that you want to make? I'll be happy to take those and uh, get you answers. So the first one I did was Stokesdale a while back, and they gave me my three minutes and went to half an hour. Wow. And at the end, they were asking me a lot of questions. Their needs were interesting. Their biggest need was traffic control during the first two weeks of school. There's just so much traffic, and they wanted to know, could the school board underwrite police officers helping direct traffic? Uh-huh. Which, you know, is pretty easy. It's thing. a fair request. I, yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. So I've I've got I'm going tonight to their board meeting. I've got some answers. 
unfortunately, there isn't a lot we can do, but I'm going to go back in and see if we can wiggle, you know, some money out of the budget. I talked to the folks and, you know, unfortunately what's happened is in the schools were designed for 60 to 70% busing yeah. and 30% cars. Well, now it's switched. And therefore, none of the serpentine areas for dropping off kids was set up to handle, you know, 100 cars. Now, Bill, wait a minute. You use this word serpentine. What does that mean? You know, I went to school in South Carolina in the 60s and early 70s. Yeah. And, you know, I failed you the think, third grade and the fourth yeah. grade. And they tried to put me in special ed, Bill. What does serpentine mean? I'm not even going to ask you how it's spelled. What does that mean, Bill? Well, think of Chick-fil-A. When yes. you go or that's a serpentine, how they have the cars lined up. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're talking about the, the car line, the yeah. school, the, okay. Yeah. yeah the the yeah. car riders yeah. line. Yeah. Okay. So they're, the new schools we're designing are set back on the property. So you can go do kind of like uh, when you go through TSA. Yeah. You can kind yeah. of go through yeah. that. So yeah. that's what we're doing because it's more cars and get them off the street. So our average age of our school is 60 years. So wow. 60 years ago, we didn't have that issue. Right. Everybody's right. coming on the bus right. right? or walking. So that's an issue that they have. And we're going to talk about that. And they have another one. And last night I, or Tuesday night, I was at uh, Summerfield and explained to them what we're doing with the $2 billion bond. And they had a bunch of schools. They wanted to billion like a B. Yeah. Okay. Like and they wanted to know what, where some other schools were from the standpoint in the list of being improved and how much money were we going to do that with? And we also had for them what we spent on capital improvements the last 10 years in those schools. What have we spent? Well, in the school in uh, Summerfield, we're going to spend about two and a half million to improve it. Wow. Uh, repairs and stuff. Probably not enough, quite frankly. And that's, that's before inflation and everything. So we probably double that we should spend. But we spent over 16 million in 10 years. So that's a million and a half a year. Well, how much does a new school cost? If you're going to spend $16 million, and I know this new is not school. one school, you're doing maintenance, and anybody who knows anything about me, trust me, I know from, from my personal house to the faith community, I'm privileged to be a part of that leadership. Maintenance is a big deal from parking lots to roofs to air conditioners yep. to, and water is your best friend, but your worst, worst nightmare yeah, also. I remember you. one of the things we first did when you had me over with an engineer, you had a water problem in your basement. I did. We had a major water yeah. problem over there. Yeah, I got it fixed, but yeah. thank you. Yeah. Remind me yeah, about that. I forgot all about that. To answer your question, it's anywhere from 30 to $60 million to do school properly. And what we try and do is make them energy efficient, user-friendly for the teachers and the students, latest technology, latest security, and uh, the ability to handle kids coming early in the morning and out at night without parents having to wait too long. There's a lot to it. And you have a lot of uh, code issues when you have children in a school that will cost you a little more money. What does code mean? Building codes. Okay. Building codes okay, you know, that you have. And uh, for the safety of the kids, quite frankly. So, Bill, so you didn't mention security, but I know you have cameras everywhere. You out there working hard. You're getting booed in some cases. Are the boo birds still out there? Oh, yeah. In fact, just... Well, we were, we were ready for, to start the podcast. Somebody had posted that, you know, we've got this big issue with the casinos in town. They want to put one on each of our borders. Uh-huh. And uh, one is in Rockingham County, and uh, everybody's up in arms. So they asked me my opinion. I said, well, first off, it's not a school board issue. So, you know, I really shouldn't be talking about it. It's, I got other issues. Right. So, but I said, I'll be honest with you. I think that's something that should go as a referendum for the citizens to decide if they wanted a casino 
as opposed to special interest or politicians. So the response I got was, <laughs> was you're, you're calling the kettle black because you didn't get elected. You got appointed and, you know, you should resign. And if you were a man, you would resign. Oh, and it boy. was like on and on and on. So, you know how I'd responded? How? Fake news. Fake news. Fake news. But back to the school board or education. I thought that the state of North Carolina has this thing called the public lottery. They named it uh, school lottery. School, lottery. school S- education lottery. School education lottery. So gambling is gambling is gambling, but we can play the lottery because it's the school education lottery. And I know that's not a specific school board issue because it's all over the state. However, our school board, our school system gets a certain percentage of the dollars that's played on the lottery, correct? Yes. The way that's set up, I've dug into this because it's a question that came up. Where's all the lottery money going? So if you look at what we've raised over the last few years in lottery, it's like $6 billion. Okay. With a B? Yep. With a B. But the way it's broken out, about 62% of that goes to the winners. Mm. Okay. Okay. Roughly. And then another 26% or 25% goes to the schools. Okay. And then after that goes commissions to the convenience stores and all those places that you have. So everybody getting paid. Yeah. Everybody's eating at the trough, Bill. Yep. And here's the interesting thing. When it was originally set up, it was the legislation had it. The law was that 36% would go to the schools. Okay. We're doing 26. I may have those numbers wrong. It might be 32 or something, but, but that was is higher than what we're paying now. The last minute they changed the law. And also the law said, this has to be supplemental to what we're giving the schools now. The last minute they changed the law, they didn't put an amount that had to go to the schools. <laughs> and they took out the wording that it had to be supplemental. Politicians, who's writing the laws? Who's watching, you know, who's watching the watchers? So, you know what? Who's so, watching the watchers? So, you know, it's like, oh my gosh. So the proponents of this casino talked about Danville, Virginia, uh, has start, Caesar's Palace is putting a casino up there. That's about maybe an hour from here. Now, I just came from Vegas, so Caesar Palace is everywhere, oh, yeah. you know, Boy, everywhere. Yes, yes. So they're right now, they don't have a building. They have a tent. Okay. And a friend of mine went up and he says, man, you get once you get into a tent, it's air-conditioned, carpeted. You don't even know you're in a tent. So you don't even yeah. know you're in a tent. Yeah. It's not like one of the Boy Scouts tents no, at all. No, huh? no, no. Oh, so they, in last month, they had $18 million, and uh, they gave $1.6 million to the local community in Texas. Wow. So, you know, you start thinking about that. Okay, is Rockingham County going to get that? Well, that's that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So, you know, when you start talking, you know, like tobacco mm-hmm. was killing people, but a lot of tax money, mm. a lot of tax money. So they're going to bring marijuana, a lot of tax money. You know? Now, I don't think is ever a case where marijuana has killed anybody, Bill. Not that I'm aware of, but uh, it might have made somebody crazy. They went off the road. But, you know, alcohol. Good point. Alcohol, ABC stores. ABC A lot stores, of money. A lot of money. Regulated. I think it's, it's cases where drunk drivers has killed people. Yeah. And is alcohol worse than uh, the lottery, than the casino? You know, where, where, do, you draw, where do you draw your line? And uh, 
Lincoln was a liberal. He'd go for them all. Jefferson was a conservative. He wouldn't go for any of them. Well, Jefferson Davis and Lincoln, and I know we have, we're turning the corner to close. I just want to know how they felt about black folk. You know, that's it. Slate, my ancestors. <laughs> were you the I first kind black, of back. Were you the first black in there? Was I the black first black person in there? I doubt it, but I was the only black person in there when you went there to the yeah. mansion. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you go in there, Bill, and all the flags, like I said, the Confederate flags. And once I got my hand on what I wanted to get, because I was focused, then I started looking around and saying, okay, it's early. It's not a lot of white folks in here now. I don't want to be sitting around when everybody show up and <laughs> now is wearing, wearing jackets that have Confederate. Yeah, flags. yeah, yeah. I don't need all that, all that kind of stuff. I don't want to be around there with the night crowd. Did you know, you, I'm uh, in and out of there. Did you uh, go to the slave quarters? I didn't go to slave quarters. Were there, I didn't were there any set up? I'm sure they were. And it's one thing that had a statue of Jefferson Davis and his black, they said his black son. Adopted. Yeah, I just read it. He adopted a black kid. So was he his servant or was his son? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know because yeah. my thing is black is black. Yeah. You know, and in that whole system of servitude, how can one separate it? Yeah. You know, yeah. you had the house Negroes and the field Negroes and all this kind of good stuff. I get all that. Well, if I was a Negro, where do you think I would be? Bill, that's a good question. You know, I mean, Bill, be you careful, know, be Bill, careful. Bill, Bill, you probably got some black in, you know, you know, if you do the DNA, you probably got some black I, I in you like, because a I, lot of folks I, have lot of black food, in there. A lot of food you and I like. Well, I think it's more than just the food, but that's the thing about it. But let me just say this, Bill. In spite of everything our country has dealt with when it comes to race, and I'm beating the drum saying slavery was a thousand percent wrong, and I'll still beat that drum. And people say, oh, they'll get over it. And I'm like, nah, nah, because my ancestors are still whispering to me for their justice. Now, on the other hand, every white person wasn't bad when it comes to slavery. Every black person wasn't good because some black people owned slaves. So I get all that. People are human. And the whole idea of racial tension in America, Bill, we have to be careful with that because whether it's the school board or whether it's ex-president Trump using race as a shield to protect him from some of the crimes that allegedly he's committed, because I think everyone is innocent until, you know, proven guilty. That's our system. But our system is not to say, well, I don't care. I can do anything I want to do. And you can't indict me. You can't charge me. If you charge me, I'm going to say it's racist. And someone said that they think the whole war over in uh, Ukraine is just to cover up Biden and Hunter Biden's footprints and tracks. So we're going to get everybody in NATO involved and everybody involved because of Hunter Biden. Bill. I don't believe that, but I think everyone has a right to believe whatever they want to. But having one's right to believe is different from one exercising their belief on someone else. So let's end where we started. Racial tension in America, the Alabama brawl, Montgomery Riverfront. You said, Odell, could the young man just walked away? I talked about the little big town video platoon. And I talked about Jason Orridge. Try that in a small town. I'd like to rest there for a minute, Bill, because it's difference in small town, southern small town in the United States of America is different from large urban settings. Rural settings are different from urban settings. Don't mean that people are any better, any worse. 
But to your point, in the town you grew up in, you said, Odell, it wasn't any black people in the town. If a black person came through the town, law enforcement would escort them out of the town. But law enforcement didn't beat them, Bill, for being in the town. Mm, that's for sure. The young man was sitting there as the co-captain of the steamboat saying, paddle boat saying, hey, we need, we got 400 people who need to get off. We have a schedule. We have all that. And a small group said, no, we don't care. We don't care about your authority. We don't care about what you need. We want what we want. And I always tell my children that people usually want what they want. So that's why it's so hard when we sit here and say, let's find common ground. And how do you find common ground, Bill? How do you walk away from people who they don't even respect you or don't even see you as a person? During my conversation with Jefferson Davis, it's like, Odell, you all were just properties. We are superior. Mm-hmm. We were superior then and we are superior now. How, how do you find common ground with someone who doesn't see you as anywhere near their equal, Bill? You know, sometimes you can't find common ground. And when that happens, you have to walk away. And you know what you do after you walk away? You pray for them. What Jesus said, dust the dust, the dust off his sandals. But what I'll say one good thing, no weapon was used in that brawl. Yeah, that's unusual. Very unusual. Okay, buddy. We're done. We're done. Okay. Jefferson Davis, keep playing, my brother. Keep playing. Talk to you later. Bye. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. All rights reserved. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 Chief Financial Officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com.